truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in here today on The Blaze Live and On Demand. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me. If you'd like to join us, it's 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. You can like us on Facebook, except you need to like us there a lot because Facebook doesn't like us. You can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Email the program steve at stevedace.com. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E for those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or on the podcast. And if you are listening on the podcast today, could you please, if you have a moment, leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Thousands of you have done this already. Thank you. Thank you in advance to those of you that to make that decision uh, today. Uh, it helps us to find more people like you. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to discuss with our good friend Bob Vanderplatz. We have a disagreement here on the show. What is and isn't a sincere redemption story? And we're going to discuss and debate that uh, with Bob Vanderplatz coming up a a little bit later because Todd and I uh, took a look at the biggest news uh, from over the weekend, and that's the reemergence of Tiger Woods. And we have, it sounds like, totally different takes, which is fine. I think it's a conversation worth having. So we're going to do that a little bit later on. We'll continue our study of my new book, Truth Bombs, as well. And if you like dropping truth bombs, you need to support an organization like Back to Jerusalem. One of the cool things about getting to do this show for a living is we get to use it as a platform to support worthy causes. And Back to Jerusalem, their cause is one of the worthiest of them all, taking God's word to the ends of the earth, particularly what are called closed countries. And these countries are closed because they're a oppressive regimes that have done their best to close their people off to the hope found in God's word, countries like communist China, Iran, Somalia, North Korea, etc. And so what the folks at Back to Jerusalem have done is they have taken God's word, put it in a small electronic form uh, about the size of a pill that makes it easier to sneak past the gatekeepers in these countries. And uh, they want to bring the light and hope to these closed countries where, again, they're closed off because people that are given inspiration and hope from God's word, history shows, are a lot less tolerant of being oppressed. So if you want to spread this hope, here's how. BlazeHelp.org is the website you can go to uh, for as little as $15. You can get one of these Bibles into the hands of somebody in one of these persecuted countries. BlazeHelp.org or give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the face of the Democratic Party. Donald Trump promoted this video over the weekend. Care was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something. So you have no idea right now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. (gasps) Some people did something? Oh, my goodness. There is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Some people did something? It just flew straight into it. In response, Congresswoman Elon Omar claimed the video was a threat to her life and called on the president to take it down. Congresswoman and fellow anti-Semite 
Rashida Tlaib had this to say. They do this all the time to us, especially women of color. They do that. They take our words out of context because they're afraid because we speak truth. We speak truth to power. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez criticized publicizing images of 9-11 in response to Congresswoman Omar's comments. Incredibly upsetting and triggering for New Yorkers that were actually there. This is, we are getting to the level where, the, where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color. An incitement of violence. Ah, uh, yes. The left, the left would know something about that, wouldn't they? You cannot be civil, a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. My piece explains why an estimate that thousands will die uh, as a consequence of this bill is actually a very conservative uh, estimate uh, done much, much more carefully based on much more rigorous evidence than the absurd claims made by some that this bill will somehow pay for itself. I have just been informed that the alleged shooter at the Republican baseball practice this morning is someone who apparently volunteered on my presidential campaign. Don't just come here today and then go home. Go to the Hill today. Get up and please. Get up in the face of some Congress people. The idea that if you give very wealthy people and corporations tax breaks, they turn into jobs. It's, it's like just not true. Even CEOs don't believe it, right? Oh, it's just complete nonsense. It's, it's a lie. The amazing thing is that uh, people seem to be accepting this so meekly and mildly. Uh, it's, it's really akin to rape. And if there's some um, collateral damage... For some others who do not share our view, well, so be it. But Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. New details today on the incident that left Senator Rand Paul with six broken ribs. This might be one of my favorite stories, although, of course, we don't. Uh, one of the, uh, clearly, Senator Paul is still struggling. But when they go low, we go high. No. No. When they go low, we kick When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? In other news, President Trump said this about the ongoing crisis at the southern border. We are uh, looking at the possibility, strongly looking at to be honest with you. Uh, California, the governor wants to have uh, a lot of people coming in, refugees coming in. Uh, a lot of sanctuary cities, so we'll give them to the sanctuary cities maybe to take care of if that's the way they want it. We can give them an unlimited supply. Cory Booker, your thoughts. Do you think this is an empty threat by the president, though, to talk about busing people from the border into these sanctuary cities? He likes to create friction sometimes to jumpstart, he says, a Congress that's not acting. You say friction, I say he's trying to pit Americans against each other and make us less safe. It'd make those cities less safe. That's... That's kind of funny now, isn't it? Rainbow Jihad activists are targeting Chick-fil-A again, this time in San Jose, California. They say they're upset by all the usual things. The Daily Wire's Michael Knowles was speaking at the University of Missouri, Kansas City late last week. Protesters repeatedly interrupted his talk, and at one point, someone with a super soaker water gun attempted to attack him. In response, the university's chancellor sent out a campus-wide email congratulating the protesters while saying that some crossed the line. And finally, 
that this is your fight. That's not the reaction you're looking for. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> Aaron's montage brought to you by uh, Genesis 950. Now that spring cleaning season is here, if you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains, odors, etc., before you make that expensive purchase, you must try Genesis 950. Uh, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so that they are gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet stains and odors from carpet and the padding. See, that's the secret sauce there. See, a lot of times you're like, hey, that stuff's out of my uh, carpeting. Why is the smell still there? Because it got down into the padding. It can be used even in carpet cleaning machines. And it's so green that it's uh, safe for your families and pets as well. So if you're tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. By the way, you can use this to clean your entire house too. Bathrooms, kitchens, countertops, even the nice stuff, the granite, the quartz. Uh, even the tough stuff, oil and grease stains, garage floors, engines. But before you purchase that new carpet, give Genesis 950 a try. You can order a gallon direct right now at Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com. And if you uh, put promo code discount in there, or I'm sorry, if you use promo code blaze there, you'll get a discount as well as a spray bottle. All right. So discount code is blaze at Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com. The, the two things I want to make sure we highlight in Aaron's montage that, that's in there today. Um, the statement that the president made about if you guys want these um, illegals so bad, if you want to be sanctuary cities, if, if you want to be sanctuary states, we'll just bring them to you. And then to watch how many on the left have re to re have responded to this over the weekend. And there's two things about that entire montage there, and it kind of ties into the Yelan Omar back and forth as well, because you're watching the president there do what I suggested about a month and a half ago, if you'll recall, which is I, I would be making Elon Omar and Ocasio-Cortez the face of the Democratic Party right now. I'd be running ads in Iowa. You know, if you look at the fundraising numbers, he's got money to burn basically right now, the amount of money he's raking in. Uh, I'd be running ads in Iowa. And the reason I'd run them in Iowa is because all the candidates are here. It's the first in the nation caucus state. And I'd put them in, in, in a box where they either have to distance themselves from this group. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's trying to do that today. Uh, she did an interview where she said, hey, these are only it's only five of our members. We're not really a socialist party. And then there's a national poll out today that has Bernie Sanders actually first place, uh, who's a, an avowed socialist. Uh, I would, I would make that branding is perfect, and it's way too early to be making predictions about the election, particularly when you have a personality as mercurial as Donald Trump's, as combustible as Donald Trump's. But if you were to craft an environment. Much of the environment that I started off saying this year needed to be created for Trump to be reelected next year. You can see it starting to take shape. 
And you'll recall, I, I said that if I were running Trump's political machine, my entire, everything I did would be about provoking this question. I, I want to get suburban women to be forced to answer, what are you more offended by? What Trump says at 4, 5 a.m. on Twitter or the direction the Democratic Party wants to take the country for your children and grandchildren? And the more I beg that question, I'm going to win that debate. I'm, Trump's going to win that debate. Now, the, the, the challenge for a personality as combustible, mercurial, and unfocused at times as Trump's is, is to stay on a message capable of provoking that debate. I think he'll lose virtually any other debate. But he'll win that debate. Regardless of who they nominate, he will win that debate. The challenge for him and his presidency is to stay consistent enough in their messaging so that that remains the main debate. They cannot win. They cannot win the way Ilan Omar as the face of the Democratic Party. You have heard me say this for years as well. This country is not conservative like we here at the Blaze would hope, but it sure as hell ain't communist either. They, 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 they aren't, they aren't going to win that argument. Country's not ready to go that far left because that's not even left. That's oblivion. That's historical um, existential end. The, there, the, maybe the smartest thing he's done in his entire presidency is the calling of their bluff on the Ill- illegals. And what you've watched, what you're watching here is, is you're watching the elite sectors of the Democratic Party who really don't believe any of this intersectionality stuff. They've just been willing to cynically use it to get the power that they want. And now they're having a hard time hurting the cats now that they're out of the bag. The true believers are coming forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open borders. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Islamization's great. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, got great stuff. Yeah, that's what we want. Illegals vote. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. See, they were cynically willing to use these, to use these talking points just because they understood the number one tactic that worked in their favor is to not have a debate but just to call the people on the other side of the debate racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobes. Therefore, they're not worthy of even debating. And you can say whatever you want about Trump. There's good and bad, and we have never been shy in pointing out either. But there were times early on in his political emergence when, when Todd and I would sit around, particularly during the time period he was heavily wooing me, and we asked ourselves, do you, can you imagine the damage you could do, though, with a personality like his, if you could get it focused? A billionaire who doesn't need the money, doesn't need the system, doesn't need the acclaim. If you, if you, if you could get Samson out of the Philistine brothels and get him to hang out more around the Temple of Dagon, he, would, he has the kind of personality that if you get it focused, is far more inclined to tear those temples down than the Bush, Romney, McCain types who are just going to, you know, uh, grab the antibacterial wipes and, de, uh, and, and sanitize them. Just, just make sure they're cleaner than they used to be. The, the, the whitewashed tombs are whiter than they used to be. 
Now, the challenge with Trump throughout his entire political ascendancy is very Samsonian. The moments, the, the mo- he, he is far more inclined to drift back to the Philistine brothel, if you get the metaphor here. About a month ago, I went Aragorn on this. He can't be wielded. Yes, he, yes. Know? And ultimately, that's the decision I made, you know, consulting people like you, my wife, and a couple of close personal friends. In the end, just thought, if, if he can wield, I'm not capable of doing that, you know. And the, the baggage that goes along with that, just, I, I can't, I can't take it on. Made the right decision. Well, and and I, I'm, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I appreciate you saying that, but this moment is a temple of Dagon moment. My advice to you is enjoy it. Okay. There is a certain Brett Farvian factor. Let me use an analogy that we right up your alley. There's going to be that moment where he heaves that ball to Sterling Sharp wide open and for a playoff win and it ball goes 80 yards in the air. Okay. It's the guy. I'm still bitter 25 years later. Um, And then there's going to be that NFC championship game against the saints where all he literally has to do is throw the ball away, take a sack. There's four outcomes of this play. And if the, and if three of them happen, the Vikings are going to go to the super bowl. He chose the fourth one and they lost to the saints. All right. You know, and you just when you have a gunslinger personality like that quarterback in your team, when they're hot, ride that streak. Because following up that Omar video with, yeah, maybe we'll just drop the illegals off at you guys' house. That that's going five for five politically, guys. Dude, that's it for the cycle. That's got a four home run game. Now, chances are if you play the odds. Fade him the next game. Right. He's probably going over four. All right. But man, remember this game. This, this is one of the best weekends a Republican politician has had in my career. What he has done to them. And what he's forcing them to do is it's, it's splitting their it's it's splitting their party. And and it's forcing the elites in the Democratic Party to admit. That they don't care about illegals. They don't care. They, they've never cared about black people. That's the Southern Poverty Law Center. What's their big thing with race and, and everything else that's going on? They didn't care about women. Harvey Weinstein, open secret. It, it, this has all been lies that have been done. These are constructs. So they can call the people they ideologically disagree with racist, misogynistic, homophobic bigots. Well, the problem is the next generation born from these lies are coming to power now. And they believe this stuff. And this party is having a hard time reconciling these two views. And you can watch this playing out right now in real time. It's almost cosmic for Nancy Pelosi to be adamant we're not a socialist party. I'm sure she had no idea that that Emerson poll was going to come out today to head Bernie Sanders in first place. Essentially, illegal aliens are the Democratic Party's PLO. I made this analogy earlier today, and I happen to think it's a really good one. But it's also kind of obscure, so you may not understand it. Especially if you're Aaron's generation around that age. But the PLO were essentially the gutter snipe, the white trash of the Arab world. The the Arab countries didn't want them. They were thrown out of Jordan, other countries, for for decades. They were transient. They were kind of considered, you know, well, I think I nailed it before. They were basically the white trash 
low rent, poor, um, unsophisticated, undesirable, dare I say deplorables. I think that's a fair historical analogy. Yeah, more than fair. Okay. And, and, but the elite Arab countries, Egypt pre-Sadat, um, the old Saudi dynasties, the ones that, the, the, when they were, they were, they were a convenient construct foil to wield against their common foe, Israel. But they didn't care about these people whatsoever. They were just there to be used as a foil to, to, to strike at the regime that, and the entity that stood, you know, between them and their uh, hegemonic hopes, their hegemony of dominating the region, of eradicating Israel. Because the region they ultimately settled in was where? What they, their view, view, viewpoint calls Palestine. But they're not indigenous to the region. There are no Palestinian people. There really is no country called Palestine. It's all a fallacy. It's, all, it's a made-up people. It's a made-up culture. It's a made-up culture war. Their original leader, Yasser Arafat, is the, is, the, is, the, uh, is the granddaddy. He's the Rose Bowl of Islamic terrorists. He's the founding father. He was one of the architects of the Munich bombing in the 72 Olympics. That was kind of the announcement to the world of what we know today uh, as Islamic uh, terrorism. Rest of the Arab world didn't like him, didn't trust him either. But they were happy to use him because he was a good foil, helped him help them destabilize Lebanon, was a was a good foil to who was their ultimate opponent or enemy, Israel. And now the problem that they have is they got what they wanted. They got a two-state solution. They were given their own country right there on the doorsteps. For 25 years, we told the Israelis they couldn't move their capital to Jerusalem in order to begin to sow the seeds of this two-state solution and then to maintain it. And yet, did we see a precipitous drop in terrorism and threats against Israel? Nope. That's one of the reasons why we had two guests on here last week who don't know each other and live a pl half a planet apart in Joel C. Rosenberg and Daniel Horowitz who came on here and gave you the exact same description of what life is like in Israel today. Because they took this, they, they gave the progressives what they wanted. They gave them their two-state solution. They mainstreamed the, the PLO. They did everything they were told to do and it didn't stop their kids from coming home from the Tel Aviv mall in a box. So they had to accept reality for what it is, not for what the ivory tower told them it is or what they preferred it to be. And lo and behold, Trump called their bluff. We moved the embassy to Jerusalem. We have, we've been all these, and, and now we got, you know, now they're, they're normalizing relations with the Saudis. We're proud, you know, now, now evangelical leaders are meeting with uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the Morsi regime in Egypt and talking about religious liberty. Weird, weird. Show strength, and it's respected. Show weakness, and it's taken advantage of. Somebody should coin a phrase for that, you know, like a, it would be like a catchy phrase, like peace through strength, something like that, right? 
Aaron, cfpeacethroughstrength.com is you, available. You are a wordsmith. I am. <laughs> Absolutely. Somebody, I should get paid to do this, right? And so here's another bluff call. See, we're getting into the world now. Donald Trump is exceedingly ineffective moving his own party. Because they don't want to be moved. Because the only people that hate us more than the Democrats are the people running his party. <laughs> so he can't, there's no good faith negotiation happening. Yeah, that, that nominee's crazy. We don't want to fight for them. That nominee's nuts. We don't want that. No, no, no. He, he's been increasingly, and, he get, and it's getting increasingly ineffective the longer he's in office. His inability to move the Republican Party. Because they're just going to wait him out. Because they're going to practice the same strategy with him they've practiced with you all of our lives. Sooner or later, they'll just wait you out. New election comes around. They'll rattle their zippers. But the Democrats, and we'll answer. And all those other times we probably shouldn't have answered. Because, you know, the Democrats necessarily weren't what we were afraid of. Now they actually are. <laughs> now they actually are. And so you're kind of like, I, I kind of feel like I have to answer. <laughs> okay. So he's incredibly ineffective and weak moving his own party. Oh, but in provoking the Democrats to be truly honest about who they are. I mean, he's, you know, he's Patrick Waugh in between the pipes in game seven of a Stanley Cup playoff series, man. Yeah, I mean, I've Cher, never seen anything like this. Cher is out there tweeting yesterday. Yeah, the liberal vol or progressive Valhalla of Los Angeles can't even take care of its own veterans. Don't send the, you know, don't send illegals yes. our way. Yeah, they don't care about these people. They don't. It's, it's Bill Clinton sending his kids to the Sidwell School for Friends, sending Chelsea there while he was president. Then claiming if you wanted to uh, send your, uh, you know, have a have a, a grant to send your kids to private school, you're a terrible American. It's all their gated communities they live behind, but you can't have a border wall. They don't care about any of this stuff. They don't believe any of it. It's just about acquiring power and prestige and prominence. And you as a group of people stand in the way of that. So we're going to call their bluff. Okay. We've got 100,000 of these people pouring through the border every week or month or whatever it is. We'll ship them to your cities. They're sanctuaries, after all. All yours. You can have them. I have advocated strategy. How many times have you heard me use the, the reference to what Grandpa Zebediah Walton did to Jim Bob at the top of Walton's Mountain Todd? How many times? Many. Many times I've used this example of why don't we do more stuff like this? And it's still the greatest episode of the Waltons ever. Jim Bob gets caught down at the market buying lung darts. Grandpa Zebediah takes him up to the top of Walton's Mountain after he clears out the inventory of lung darts at the local market and makes Jim Bob smoke every damn one until he chokes. How many more lung darts did Jim Bob smoke the rest of the Waltons? Because it was on like 25 years after this. None is the answer. He'd had his fill. We should be doing this all the time. Fine. You don't want to listen to reason? Then you will live with the full consequences of the policies you want. Here. By the way, this is a very biblical process, the very biblical notion. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will always reap what he sows. And they have been given over to their own depraved minds. That to throw him out. 
Throw him out of the sanctuary of the church so that the enemy will have his way with him. The idea that ultimately, if a culture or a group of people or a person is so rebellious, they will not listen to reason, that they are then given the full wages of their sin, the payment in full that they have so earned with all of the hard work and tomfoolery and idiocy they've embraced. That's, that's about as biblical as it gets. So mark the tape. It is April 15th, 2018. I believe this is the first time in the Trump presidency I have described one of his policies <laughs> as fully biblical, but it is calling balls and strikes. Not that's more biblical than, hey, if you don't want to follow the law, then you are welcome to live with the full consequences of your unlaw, your lawlessness. Enjoy. They cannot win that argument. I have warned you the last few years. I live in the suburbs that are going to decide this next election. And a lot of the conversations Trump wants to have turns these voters off. But this one, this conversation is one he will not lose. Now, the challenge for him is can he stay on that message? More in a moment. We've got a new partner here on the Steve Day Show, and I'm anxious to try this one. Um, It's called Relief Factor. Right now, there's about 50 million Americans who will miss work this year due to pain. Uh, These Americans are going to spend about $2,000 per year to to combat that pain. Uh, 66% of Americans in a recent poll said that they think they're just going to have to deal with this kind of chronic pain and live with it the rest of their lives. And uh, there have been so many other relief factor clients here at the Blaze, and uh, and the and I and I've watched all the testimonies of how this helps them. And as I get older, the recovery time for my workouts <clears throat> and the way I recover and the soreness and stuff afterwards, it it I ain't getting younger. I'll just put it that way. All right. So relief factor is 100% drug free. Uh, it's it's created by doctors. Um, they've got a three week quick start for only nineteen ninety five. That's like a dollar a day for the trial pack. Zero um, percent of people who order the three week quick start, um, or a hundred percent of people, or I can't read my own writing here. A lot of the people that order the quick start go on to order more. There's four key ingredients. Now that's a big thing for me. You'll notice that when we bring it up with uh, with other things that we talk about. I will. I will make a note of how many ingredients, all right? Because I'm just not big in putting a bunch of foreign substances, chemicals, things of that nature. Go to, you know, when, when, it, when anything else is built or created and it breaks down, we have a tendency to go back to the manufacturer to get it fixed the way it was intended, right? The human body is the same way, all right? Go back to the manufacturer. Look at the way nature and uh, your creator intended for this to work. All right, so when I see only four key ingredients uh, to help fight your body's uh, battle with inflammation, that's a major selling point to me. All right, so if you want to try Relief Factor's three-week quick start for only $19.95, if you're in pain, what have you got to lose? Uh, Here's how. ReliefFactor.com. That's ReliefFactor.com. 
Com. Bob Vanderplatz joins us now from the Family Leader. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm going to go to relieffactor.com right after this show. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to trying this. I really, I, it sounds good. So, yesterday, the numbers are in between 9 a.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Eastern yesterday. 21% of all American households who turned the television on had the masters on for at least a period of time. That included our household. 21%. All right. Um, it was, they, they moved it up because of the fear of the storms. Yep. So, you know, you had breakfast at the Masters like you do, uh, you know, when there's the British Open, for example. So I had to run the DVR uh, because we had church and everything else yesterday. And so I've got to stay off my phone and everything so I don't get any updates. And I actually was able to get home and watch it all unfold in real time. But uh, that man right there, Tiger Woods, when it's the second longest drought between majors in the history of golf, it's the longest drought between masters victories of all time, 11 in the former, 14 in the latter. It's the first time that he's ever come from behind on the final day to win a major. He was actually down by three shots at one point uh, in the event. Um, he really didn't even play his best golf. Uh, he missed eight birdie putts from 10 feet in throughout the course of the tournament. That's a lot. I mean, if even if he only make, if he only makes half of those, you're talking about a four or five shot victory, and it's dominant. Yeah, you're talking about a dominant performance. Then he ends up winning. He bo you, you rarely win the Masters by bogeying the final hole. He did, and he was lucky. Brooks Kepka missed like a 12 footer for birdie, but a half hour earlier, otherwise there would have been a playoff. And who knows what happens there? But this has uh, touched off an interesting conversation. And it's not just taking, I've, I've listened to, you know, there's when I'm working out on Mondays, uh, particularly after like a Michigan spring game, I'll listen to a sports talk station from Ann Arbor. They were debating this amongst their listeners. Okay. Um, this, so there is, there's been an interesting conversation happening about, is this a redemption story or not? Okay. And I thought it would be fascinating. We got three guys here. We're all Gen X. And we've got this millennial over there who the last time Tiger Woods won a major, you were like a freshman or sophomore in high school or something, right? Yeah, would have been a yeah, sophomore or junior. Yeah. So th there's no, you know, he, there's no built-in affinity here. Not necessarily, no. And, 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 you know, we've had conversations on our show. You and I've had conversations. You got a couple millennial sons. You know, what is the next generation of men looking at? from us and the and the examples being passed down. So I thought it'd be fascinating if we if we each gave a perspective here because I know you I know you have a totally different opinion of this than I do, Todd, which is cool. So what is a redemption story or not? Is this something beyond his uh the athletic exploits that ought to be celebrated, okay? And since Todd, I, I'm going to give you a chance. I want to let you go first. Go ahead. What's your viewpoint of this? Well, just did your was my take uh in any, what was your first reaction? I mean, what's your elevator speech about my take? I don't have an elevator speech about your take because okay. I want you to give your take first. Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay. If, I just, like an, if you saw it, if it was, a, oh, I didn't see that coming or something. I mean, I didn't think it was that. I, when I first saw your take, I didn't, I kind of thought um, it was going to be a scant minority, but I've actually heard this aired that's what in I mean. plenty of I, other places. Okay, that's what okay. I mean. Yeah. Listen, I... I, I waited for a while uh, to see uh, what people said, and it's the kind of fawning that has tended to bother me about Tiger Woods these last uh, 10 years. I don't understand the need for grown men 
to every time i mean is tiger what, what's tiger doing is he is tiger okay is tiger gonna be there i, I it, it it bothers me listen this is a guy who cheated over and over and over and over again uh on his spouse i i think the injuries that he has uh suffered while real have been hyped up to cover for that and then i saw tweets look but year by year what he endured the injury the, 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 again Real injuries, what he did on that one knee the last time he won in a U.S. Open was was phenomenal. And But listen, the, the fact that he has back problems from all that torque, well, did you see young Tiger Woods and then jacked up Tiger Woods? He did that to himself. Uh, he, he He's not a victim. And it's clear after yesterday that this was this was a man who had overcome so much as if it it was none of it was his own doing. I'm just not. I'm just not buying it. I, I'm not rooting against him, but it's clear that there's just a bunch of grown men who have some need for Tiger, and it, it it's a violation of the two dude code in my estimation. Which is not to say that this can't be uh, something you can root for, um, but it's a bit cultish in my estimation. Okay, what do you think, Bob? Well, first of all, I won't come from a cultish point of view because I'm not that big of a golf fan. I'm not that big of a Tiger fan. Uh, I haven't even watched the Masters all that much. But it did catch my attention. I have, I have sons who obviously love the game of golf, and they were watching. I thought, well, after church like you, Steve, you know, I want to turn on watch what's taking place. I agree with Todd, first of all, that Tiger is not a victim. Uh, a lot of the ills that he has suffered in his life have been self-inflicted. And whether that's been, you know, the affairs, which he's admitted to, you know, uh, yeah, that's an issue. Maybe some of the golf injuries, those type of things. I was looking from maybe just a 30,000-foot view, novice sports fan deal about, here's a guy who was at the top of his game, and after all those things that basically took him down to a place to where I may never play golf again, comes back and has the mental fortitude to win the Masters, which is a huge mental exercise, you know, I thought, that's pretty cool. That, that's a thing to, to, in my opinion, that was a thing to celebrate. I was rooting for him. When he went into the trees, into the pine needles, and he had to hit out of the pine needles, I'd been there so often, and I thought, here's where the wheels come off. You know, Tiger has lost it now. He's going to lose his focus. When he hit that shot out of there, I thought, dude's got a chance. And then being a dad, which all of us are, except for the millennial Aaron, after he wins, and now the coach in me says, you know, he played not to lose the 18th hole. You know, I was, I was hoping, take out the driver. Let's see if we can get a birdie on the 18th. But he definitely played not to lose. And maybe that's smart to do in his, in his field. I was hoping he would play to win, go for the jugular. But after he won and the embrace of his son and his daughter and his mom, I thought were really cool about no matter how far I've fallen, I still have the love of my family. I know nothing about his current girlfriend, so I can't comment on that. So redemption story, as I told Steve in a text, on a human level, I think you could qualify this as some sort of a redemption story. Uh, theologically, spiritually, I'd, I'd have to know a whole lot more before I could say that's a redemption story. So uh, I got choked up watching this at the end yesterday. Uh, the, when they went back and forth, the scene where they showed the video with him and his father from 1997, his first Masters, to the scene with him and his own son here uh, 22 years later. Um, yeah, I, I got a little choked up watching that. I was I was rooting for him yesterday. 
Um, and that's not always been the case. Like I, to me, I, I, I agree that he's not a victim and I really haven't, I've actually seen, I consume a lot of sports media to occupy my free time so that I, because I just can't consume much of the media where I work. Okay. I, I actually have not seen in the, in, and it's been white, black ESPN network. A lot of it's been pretty, I think, condemning of Tiger. What a waste of talent. He's never coming back. He's done. He's washed mm. up. I really haven't seen um, an effort by a you know a sports media culture that sadly all too often emulates our regular media culture and lives off of victim fake victimology. I, I really haven't seen an effort to resurrect him as any kind of a fake victim. Um, if anything, I've seen a lot of hardened cynicism and skepticism about whether he'll ever come back again or not. I, I to me, I don't know what other penalty I could ask of him though to pay. He he lost. He's not, he's, he's, it's, it's highly unlikely. I know the next two majors are Beth Page and Pebble Beach, especially where he's had some of the most dominant moments of his career. Those were 15, 20 years ago, three, you know, before three back surgeries. There's a reason he's the second oldest masters champion ever. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's closer to being eligible for the senior tour than he, than he was at the time he was doing the whole tiger slam thing. So uh, he's he's not going to accomplish what was the greatest goal that he set out to do that his father laid before him. He's gonna he's gonna beat Nicholas's record for the most majors. That's highly 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 unlikely. Far more likely this is the last major we'll ever see him win. Because mm. just look at the margin for error. We just talked about the fact he if, if Kepka doesn't miss a twelve foot putt there at the end of an eighteen, we may not even having be having this conversation yeah, today. That's close okay. to the truth. Yet there are a bunch of people right now in sports radio talking about can he catch Jack. Nicholas, stop. Well, and see, some no. of that is they need content to talk about, and it's one of the worst sports months of the year. And I say this as a sympathetic figure to a guy that used to have to make a living doing a three-hour sports talk radio no, no, show in I, April. I got to okay. tell you, again, this is elementary psychology, but when I saw that, when I saw that picture of Tiger winning the Masters, mm -hmm. to me, that was not a hands-up, I'm back to win the most majors. That was a hands-up, I did it. Meaning... I've accomplished something nobody thought I could accomplish again. I won the Masters. So, Steve, I think even in Tiger's own head, I don't think he's looking at, do I beat Jack Nicklaus's record? Right. I won another major, and it happened to be the Masters at that time. And I do think you're right. He lost a marriage. He's He he was heavily embarrassed. He'll always have some embarrassment. There'll never be a time his kids' his friends can't log on and Google their dad's name and see the photos and the stories. That scarlet letter is never going away. You know, but if we're going to sit here and and decide which athletes we're going to root for on the basis of marriage fidelity, yeah, oh yeah. guys, it's going to be a real short, <laughs> That's for small sure. list. Okay, yeah. and, and 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 let me just say this because it may not be fair, and I may be projecting. I'm nowhere near the world that he is in, but you guys see some of the emails I get. Mm -hmm. When you when you, I live in a community where. I feel as if, and I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm not a victim. It goes with what I do. But if, if, if someone is rude to me, if someone takes advantage of me, I, have, I know I can't say anything really about it. I really can't. Unless it's a true self-defense situation. That, that everywhere I go, I am potentially on display. I've, I've, I've had to deal with that. The amount of pressure that goes along with that 
the amount of resentment you begin to feel when you realize you guys want me to live up to a standard you're not living up to, and I couldn't please you even to, to do it even if I tried. I have a little empathy. That doesn't mean I excuse what he went through. You've, you've never heard me say I thought he was treated unfairly, the, all the, op, the business opportunities and the things he lost. That's the wages of sin, man. He, he put up with that, and he's got to live that. But I don't know. He, he lost the, 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 the prime of the career. of the, He lost the idol that caused him to act out in all of these ways, in a very public way, in one of the most publicly embarrassing ways we've ever seen, a fall from grace in the history of our culture. And the thing it is with Tiger, not, not just yesterday with the Masters, but even when he was in the other tournaments, there was such an intrigue. Even when he wasn't in the hunt, it was like, let's go with the cameras over to Tiger, even if he was eight shots back. Why? Because there was an intrigue about Tiger Woods. And so I think, Steve, you're right. He did live in a bubble. Everybody's looking at him. And I got to believe social media wasn't always kind. It's very difficult. He's not a Christian. My understanding is he's some kind of a Buddhist. If, if, if there's no way, the expectations you have to carry for other people and the weight that gets projected on you, I can speak to this in my own small world. Buddhist are, Buddhism is essentially a form of atheism when you actually look mm-hmm. at the religious beliefs. I can't tell you some of the choices I probably would make just to medicate, to, to, to the choices I'd probably make if I didn't fear the accountability, not from any of you or my board of directors or the blaze, I mean eternally. I'd probably make just because I, this is a, this is, I, I feel it at times it's a very heavy burden and weight I have to carry to meet your expectations, to be the symbol you think I need to be, to, to stand for the things I stand for. I can't even imagine what the world is like for a Tiger Woods, for example. So I feel a little empathy there. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, what is your contention, Todd? Uh, kind of in a nutshell, just basically too too much uh, too much idolatry of of a human being. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, and when you put it in context, what was it? A couple years ago, I forget his name, but a guy that wasn't too savory to the powers that be just got ra- railroaded because he was too conservative or said something nasty. It's I, Tiger Woods. It was big for golf, but he's not that big of a deal to you people. He shouldn't be. You shouldn't need him that bad. Okay. Well, yeah, that's you could say that just about any any star athlete as well. As as far as the actual is this a redemption story? I think this is absolutely a redemption story um, by by all accounts. Um, you look at somebody, as Steve has pointed out, who has in very public ways paid for the mistakes and the choices that he has made in a very public way. Um, at least in ter- in human terms, the and you know Bob bringing up you know theologically you know I think setting that aside, um, our God is big enough that He can use every. I mean we're all examples of that. We use broken vessels. He can use Buddhists to illustrate some things, some important principles, some in sto- you know stories that we can all learn from. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much talent you have, but to come back not only from the personal and the mental aspect of, of what Tiger Woods put himself through and also the physical, I don't care how much talent you have, 
That is definitely a story. What if he's still a jerk of redemption? We don't really know that he's not. There's no we we know the video that had the interview that happened. If he had was repented, not just in a Christian way, but said, you know what, man, I. I was broken. I I don't even deserve it. That's never happened. What if he's still a jerk? You see, and I think that's where it is, Todd, in regards to it's a redemption story in the story of golf. To go much beyond that, yeah, we need to know a heck of a lot more. To tie it up, though, to bring it back to Palm Sunday, you know, for those of us who are believers, what he's experiencing there is freedom. <laughs> freedom. I mean, there's a load off, right? Just think if somebody were to reach him with the gospel. Or if he were to give his life to the gospel and say, you know what, all that stuff, all those decisions you made can be forgiven, you know, but turn your life over. That's the whole message of Easter. We all fall short. And so I was with you, Steve. I was cheering him on. <laughs> I was cheering him on because of what it meant for the game of golf uh, and to see somebody in a comeback way. And then five minutes after the tournament ended, I just went on the rest of my life. Didn't As care. did I. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I know he knows the name of Jesus Christ. I heard him use it a few times on the course there <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> That'll preach. Bob, good to, good to see you, Bob. Good to see you guys. All right, we'll come back with our two more zany hijinks are about to ensue here, live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. With hour two of the Steve Day Show, live and on demand on the Blaze, 888-900-3393 is the number, 888-900-3393. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is D-E-A-C-E. Late last year, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office released a grand jury report noting that law enforcement had received couple thousand complaints of deed fraud, and almost every one of these was the result of a faulty notarization. That's a nice way of saying it attempted forgery. Uh, The problem was so bad, the grand jury called it an epidemic. It's because criminals are looking for vulnerable properties. They're scanning the obits, pouring through public records, and it can take as little as a forged deed to transfer ownership of your home. And once that happens, it's extremely difficult, maybe almost impossible to reverse. Don't let that happen. Protect what will be, for most Americans, our most valuable investment, our home and or the equity in it, especially when you can do it for just pennies a day with our friends at Home Title Lock. They'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. You can go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your home right now to learn if it's already been targeted. That's normally $100, but it's a title scan and report that's free today to our family at The Blaze. If you go to HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. You guys have any final thoughts? Are you ready to move on? The Tiger Woods conversation we had yesterday. It sounds more to me like, or last hour I met, sounds to me like you're you're more concerned with a fawning level. No, yeah. Which is kind of your general default setting, right? Yeah. That you're you have a you have a general concern um that stuff you're you're a guy that you're really passionate about, sports, Star Wars, et cetera, that this is becoming though, we're going from passion to obsession is that kind of your well, general fear his is a, a complex story it was was anybody uh talking about that it was just it was a church hymn they were singing about him no i don't accept it okay yeah, yeah to me that's a i mean that's a separate conversation from i think the, the main question that we had 
unless I'm still misunderstanding it, because um, the conversation that we're trying to have, is this a story of redemption? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not on a spiritual level. I mean, if, if it's true, which you have said that, uh, that it is, that he's some form of Buddhist, of course, this is not a transformation on a spiritual level, but I mean, our, heck, um, our God gives good, I mean, gifts to everybody. Can we just, can we celebrate the greatness of our, if we want to make this into spiritual, something spiritual, I mean, God is uh, such a, an amazing, our God is such an amazing being that he even gives some of the most, even if he is unrepentant uh, people, some of the most amazing talents for us to enjoy. I think that's the, maybe the proper way to mm-hmm. view this through a spiritual level, regardless of of whether or not he's repented or not. I mean, King David, uh, again, I hate these King David, and I know you hate these, but he was a terrible person, just a terrible, terrible human being. Um, but, you know, we know what was said about him uh, as well. So I don't think in order to enjoy one, we don't have to go all the way to one side and just completely deify the person, as is, I think, Todd's contention. And on the other side, we don't have to say, I'm not going to uh, uh, enjoy this amazing accomplishment because he has not changed one iota spiritually. Um, you know, I think being right in the middle, wow, this guy is amazing. Look what he overcame. I think that's probably the, probably the most um, apropos way to view this. You persuaded by any of that at all? Well, I, I think that's a fair way. To, I think you can. I, I could sit there and enjoy Tiger's golf, uh, but I, I just don't enjoy a bunch of uh, grown men whose worship of him probably tells us a lot about our culture and the state it's in and the things that they value. But Steve, I've said this before multiple times, and you've never pushed back. There's a reason why. I'm not pushing back on you now. No, no, I know. But there's this is fun to be when you you you're make yourself vulnerable in this way. You, you, there's the time you spend playing uh, uh, video games or in sports. You spend the same, if not more, time with your faith, with philosophy, with reading, with with, with your family. I beg. Uh, to differ if somebody wants to tell me that most of these people fawning over Tiger Woods and revolving their Sundays around this stuff are doing anything close to that. That's how a society breaks down. I mean, maybe that's getting too deep on the issue of Tiger Woods. I think he's just a poster child for our culture's decay. I don't don't think it's getting too deep at all. I mean, you know, if, if we're going to corporately secularize as a culture, those those yearnings, those desires, those needs that we are, that are embedded in our code by our creator, you know, we, we can't make those go away. We, we can't, um, we can't spiritually transition in that way. Okay. You know, we can decide for our, we can make the decision spiritually, which gender or, or, or which type of the gender you know, my, you know, we can't change that we're a boy or a girl, but can we be a tomboy? Can we be a hipster? You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So we can't change the fundamentals of the spiritual needs and desires we have to worship, to seek redemption, etc. We can change the methods and, and, and outcomes that we seek to get those things, though. Right? Yes. Okay. So I agree that what you're concerned about may not have been as big of a problem for our culture 20 or 30 years ago. That it would have been, it would have been easier for somebody as discerning as you are to just assume, hey, we're not, we're not making this guy a saint. We're just, 
really applaud the fact that his sport had given up on him and his peers had given up on him and were taking advantage of him and he was scorned and mocked and he went through three back surgeries. He said, hell no. And he came back and he punked him at the biggest event of the year. You'd have been much more confident assuming that's all that it was. Now I'm 20 pick, or 30 years now I'm ago. picking up what you're putting down. You see what I'm, yeah. is that, is that fair? Yeah. But in the day and age in which you're like, like the kicker that it was in Aaron's montage. So we're going to do yeah, yeah. a round, we're going to do yeah. a round table today as, as four real, grown men. Huh? Was that real? What we watched? Yes. Four grown men. We're going to do a round table today. Some of the theories we have on the new star Wars movie based on the trailer. And we're interested. We've discussed it. You know, we're not sitting around though. Uh, alone in a basement thinking this is better than being around girls. We're not doing that. You know, you know right? Yeah. And I think that's what you're concerned is that the pursuit of happiness, the the desire for leisure, and we come from a God that took a leisure day yes. uh, after his greatest task. Okay. <laughs> so it's not wrong to seek out rest and leisure. Um, it, it's it's your concern. We've, we've kind of, we've kind of gone from, prioritization to Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. Is that where I hear you yeah. going? And you see this as going crossing that line, right? Yeah, I see a bunch of men who can't be relied on uh, to anything close to the uh, with the degree of energy as they put into this level of idolatry. So, I don't disagree with your concern. I have a concern that I bring to the table here, which is when At some point, the culture needs to see us celebrate something good rather than just pointing a finger at all of the bad. See, I'm concerned about that. Okay. And, and that might be my own personal issue because I've spent a good portion of my career either volunteering or being forced to say no to most of what I'm asked to accept because it violates what God says is right. And I kind of feel like when this guy, I'm going to sound pretty Catholic here, but I don't know how much more penance this guy can pay, man. I mean, 11 years of professional purgatory, one of the most embarrassing defrockings of all time. And, and how many events he went out there and kept trying, wouldn't make the cut, couldn't finish a round. I mean, I mean, the dude got, I mean, if we're going to talk about, I won't use the term. How about use a nicer term? I'll save you the emails. He got pretty emasculated here throughout, yeah. and on the field of play in front of his peers as well, Yes, right? You know, and I kind of feel like at some point when there's just something that's just a good story, how I can't hold him any more accountable for what he did to his family and his reputation than his own children have. And if they're there and they've made their peace with it, and it's been 11 years, 11 years since this story blew up, I kind of feel like at some point, you know, let's not, I'm worried that we will become like the leftist. Uh, I really think Game of Thrones is because of climate change. I saw that trending in my Facebook feed. Like, they, nothing can just be watched. Nothing can just be read, right? I, I don't want us to become the same way. And so I, I'm i kind of coming to the table with this, it's okay for us to smile every now and then. It's for okay sure. for us to laugh. It's okay, you know, it, it's okay for us to celebrate with those who are celebrating, providing what they're celebrating isn't immoral. But at best, he's an anti-hero. He's not a demigod. And that's where I push back. Okay. I think anti-hero is a little strong. What do you think, Aaron? I agree that he's not a demigod. I agree. 
But I don't think we have to go from one extreme to the other. I think it's, to me, I just think it's a really good sports story. Rocky got to the top of the stairs, you know? Uh, for me, I just can't wait till Lent is over so Todd can start drinking coffee again. <laughs> Sorry, Todd. <laughs> and now the truth comes out. He's hanging by a very thin thread here, America. All right. Look both ways for you cross the street and make sure you have dotted every I and crossed every T before you enter his realm. You are yes. my sunshine. Yes. My only sunshine. Hey, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged up feeling? If that's you, if you're constantly asking people to repeat themselves. If any of these problems sound familiar, it could be like millions of Americans who are going to be forced to visit a doctor for a professional ear cleaning at some point here soon. But what if I told you you can now get the same professional results? but in the comfort and convenience of your own home. And you can, it's called WaxRx. It uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And now you can even get WaxRx without a prescription as well. So you want to try the WaxRx system? Do it risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com. That's all one word. That's the website. Usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Use WaxRx.com. Offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. All right, let's get to our weekly study of my new book, Truth Bombs. Confronting the lies conservatives believe to our own demise. And we're taking a look at this chapter by chapter. You can pick up your copy of the book wherever Kamala Harris's books are sold, because apparently they like to display my book right next to hers. Or you can just go to Amazon.com and search for my name or Truth Bombs and buy it that way. And if you've got time today, if you have had a chance to read the book and you like it, if you'd leave us a five-star review at Amazon, we would greatly appreciate that. Thank you to those of you that have done this already. This week, it's lie number eight we're on, I believe, correct? Correct. Lie number eight, it's all about the party platform. But here's the truth bomb. The party platform is irrelevant to almost every Republican you elect. There was a, uh, a pullout from the BBC this weekend that showed less than half of people who call themselves Christians in the UK believe that Jesus was physically crucified, died, and physically resurrected. And they're welcome to believe that. They're just, you can't believe that and claim you're a Christian, okay? I mean, you're not Christians if you don't believe that, guys. Are you saying, I'm, yes. You say no, yeah. to you? Yeah, I'm talking to you. You're not a Christian if you don't believe in Christianity. You might be some good things despite that. You might still be a good father, husband, etc. But one of the things you will not be if you don't believe in Christianity is a Christian. And um, I pointed out to the BBC, why don't you now do a poll of, you, of Muslims in the UK and find out how many say, yes, I'm a Muslim, but I don't believe that Allah spoke to Muhammad in that cave. Uh, they won't be doing any such polling, of course. Um, and, and somebody had just tweeted me during the top of the hour break about what I said about this poll over the weekend, and it, that's what made me think about it right now. And I responded back to him, I know of no other two enterprises on planet Earth where individuals earnestly seek to join despite not actually believing the stated beliefs of either. And the only two enterprises I know of, maybe there's more. You know, I don't know anybody that joins a Star Trek fan club and they're like, you know, on second thought, I watched the show and I 
it's kind of boring. It's not my thing. Like who decides, you know what? I'm going to be in, I, I love Alabama, but I, I really, I kind of, you know, I, I like Auburn more. Okay. You can like Auburn more, but then guess what you would then be? Not an Alabama fan, but an Auburn fan. Name me two enterprises in all of human existence right now on this planet that people earnestly seek to join them despite not believing or agreeing with each, each of them's stated beliefs, then the Christian church is one and the Republican Party is the other. Name me, what other ones? I hate this game. There, is no, there are no other ones where people are like, you know, I really don't believe anything those two organizations believe fundamentally. And that's exactly why I want to join. I know of no other two than the Christian church or the Republican Party. And that speaks to this truth bomb. You can put everything in that platform you want. We elect people, not platforms. We have a representative republic, not a philosophical exercise. So if the people you elect find what's in that platform irrelevant, guess what it then becomes? Irrelevant. And now that I have dropped today's truth bomb, Todd and Aaron, the floor is yours. Well, there's this paragraph in here, and it's uh, if I had read it first, it would have more punch based. And then you said what followed, but it, it's it's incredibly revelatory to me. You say, "See, the truth is something we must submit to," and we've all got this voice inside each of us telling us submission is bad, unless we can make others submit to us. Of course, then it's actually quite dandy. Submission to me but not for the the amount of times we've either talked about this show or in our columns uh, that we write. We talk about this in the context of progressivism. But you're t- using the exact same argument and you're talking about nothing else other than the machinations of the Republican Party. So mm-hmm. A, I want to, when I do things like say progressivism is, is cancer and we talk about it, the, the spirit of age progressivism, we're not just talking about Democrats. I want you to elaborate what it means. The age. Oh, it's metastasized. Yeah. And then, what, what does a cancer do? Is right. a cancer is is a cancer? Why does it have to be treated? And often it has to be treated before what occurs. Metastasizing. Why? Because is it content with the individual cells or the individual system it has corrupted? Is a cancer content with that? No. No. And so, therefore, if it's not treated, it'll do what? Spread. So, yes. So, absolutely. A, I want you to elaborate. Why is progressivism every bit as cancerous to uh, the Republican Party? And B, then I want you to uh, specifically give an elevator speech about the four points you mentioned, why that, how that metastasizes in life, taxes and spending, national defense, and immigration policy. All right, give me part two individually sure. after I answer your first one, okay? The reason why is because we're all sinners and we're all east of Eden. And there isn't an ideology that in and of itself immunizes us from the human condition. There are some ideologies that may provide us more of a shelter or may give us more of a resistance to the contagion. So we'll resist it longer. Our bodies will resist it longer. But ultimately... No virus has ever been cured. And so you can believe certain things about health 
and your body and your fitness level and the foods you consume and whether or not you smoke or whether you not you drink or what you drink or how much right you can you can engage in certain behaviors as a result of your ideology that makes you less prone to catching the virus but though none of those things while valuable none of them are an antidote they have value but they're not invaluable. None of them are. None, none of them are. None of them are an antidote. None of them are a cure. Because you still have a body that at one at some time is going to expire. Every day, I promise. When you get up and check the death rate on planet Earth, it's hundred percent. So something's going to kill you. And you can, as conservatives, we can acknowledge certain universal truths that have been passed down. We can acknowledge certain common senses, certain ideologies, certain principles that have been proven to be, through the course of time, what is best for the human condition. But they don't cause a regeneration. They're not an antidote. They may make you more morally fit, if you get the analogy I'm drawing. Your moral, your moral fitness test might be higher. You might be able to do more chin-ups. You might be able to do more burpees. You might even know what a burpee is, <laughs> okay? But in and of itself, can those guys, hey, all those guys that, uh, an American Ninja Warrior, are they all going to die? Yeah. Hell yeah, they are. Every last one of them. Wages of sin. Yeah, all of them are dying. And you you watch you watch like what they most of those guys can't get through the course. Most of us couldn't get through the first stage. There's this new one on we were watching recently where they are literally they're giving like Navy SEALs like a, a five minute head start against some of these elite athletes and they still can't beat them. Okay? The elite can't beat the elite. Are they all going to die? They're all going to die. They might be more physically fit than you, but they're all going to die. Because they may have provided themselves more shelter and protection from the contagion within them, but they don't, they don't have a cure. And so neither Republicans or Democrats are more or less prone to this. One side may be more protected. But if it abandons those absolutes, if it abandons those things, then there's really no difference. You know, the Republican Party, the last two times it's taken over the Congress, it did it when it took over the, it, when it, it did this in 2010, and then it did it again in 2014. They opened up the next congressional session in January after a victorious election by reading the Constitution from the preamble to the very final amendment. And then they went out there and kept almost none of their promises, let alone their oaths to the Constitution. This partnership between the Blaze and Conservative Review and CRTV, its origin stems from the fact that Conservative Review was started by a major GOP donor who was lied to after giving them essentially the gross domestic product of a small Latin American country. And so he created an entity to hold them accountable for all of this money that they lied to him and they wasted. Because they told him they were going to do all these conservative things and they didn't do any of them. So, 
what in some respects I could argue. Oh, do you really want a truth bomb? Why not? In some respects, I could argue that the other side's actually more honest. Because they, they, have, they have given themselves over knowingly to the spirit of the age. A lot of the people who represent us will quote the Constitution and stuff to us. And then argue on national television why this new entitlement they're creating is really for our own good. With all the same arguments that we've spent a lifetime trying to defeat. And, and that's because ultimately it goes to the truth bomb we talked about last week. You have chosen something of more value to you than the principle. And that's your position. And that's exactly what the other side did. They looked at, they, they got up one morning and said, I will ascend. I will be like the most high. I like my position better. And I'm going to force it on you whether you like it or not. That's why I think we have to resist the temptation to use their tactics against them. Oh, bury them with their own arguments. Absolutely. Make them live with the consequences of their their actions. But to emulate them That's what they want. You're not not going to fight lung cancer with pancreatic cancer. Lung cancer plus pancreatic cancer equals what? Double cancer. Double cancer, yeah. That's not going to fight that. It's not. And I think that's the great debate happening on our side. of. And when I say our side, I don't mean Republican, Democrat. I've given that up a long time ago. What I mean is the what's left of America versus the left America. I should and I should probably clarify that on a more frequent basis so you know where I'm coming from. The debate we're having right now in the what's left of America as we're deciding tactically how to fight back is do we take the next step from I love what Trump did over the weekend. I talked about it last hour. Hey, you guys want open borders? Grandpa Zebediah Walton went down to the market, grabbed every every pack of Lungarts, taking you up top to the mountain, you can smoke them all. All yours if you love them them so much. I love that stuff. But then do we take the next step, which is we use their tactics? Well, their tactics are corrosive by nature intentionally. I'm trying to preserve things. On one hand, I'm a Christian, so I'm salt and light. I'm salt, I'm a preservative. I'm a sustainer. I'm a conservative on the other politically, which means I'm trying to conserve. Does corrosiveness line up with preservatives or conservatives? I don't think so. I think they kind of go against what I'm my stated actions here. It's like we're doing wax on, wax off, and then we're peeing on the fence right after on the part of the fence we just got done, waxing on and off. I don't understand the logic in that. Yeah, well, they peed on the fence first, so we're going to do it next. Well, all we just did was just put more pee on the fence. It's just a fence with more pee on it. I, I didn't get anything from that. And this is the and right now the market is urging because your clicks line up to say you want to you 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 want to make the mistake the civil rights movement made, which is we want to go from equality to get even, to getting even. I want to be Muffet McGraw, the Notre Dame women's coach, who just openly says I'm not hiring men as my assistants. Imagine if Nick Saban said, I'm just not hiring black people. I'm just not hiring Hispanics. What would we do? 
Well, one group's considered protected and another's not. So it's, it's, it's justified get-evenism. Get-evenism is, is, not, is not justice. It's a vendetta. You know, my worldview doesn't permit vendettas. It's like my worldview says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It permits me self-defense. It permits me just war. But it doesn't permit vendettas. Hatfields and McCoys isn't Christianity. And so this is going to be, I think, a real tension for us. And if it sounds like I've said this before, because it's the number one argument that's happening, it's happening in our conservative media industry right now. It's happening in all the political machinations. How far to go with this? Meanwhile, the words on that party platform become more and more and more irrelevant. And they're hardly ever read or hearkened back to. Realestateagentsitrust.com was started because there is so much frustration in buying or selling a home. No urgency, no return phone calls, no real marketing. The answer is, hey, let's just have another open house. You know when I knew we had hired the right real estate agent when we did our last go around 13 years ago now? Is when he told us, guys, I got to be honest with you, open houses are a joke and agents just do them because they're lazy. I've almost never sold a house off an open house. Bam. That's a guy that wants to put in the work. All right. Realist, you want an agent like that. That's why you want to go to real estate agents I trust. Um, and they were established a few years ago by Glenn Beck and some of his friends because they were tired of agents that talked a good game, but then didn't deliver the desired results. All right. Selling or buying a home is a complicated process. It's difficult to navigate. Market value by your home can't be done by a simple algorithm. You need an agent with experience about what's the current of, you know, ups and downs and values in your neighborhood. Some, you know, you may have a home that might be lowballing right now because there's a divorce or relocation. They got to get out of that house right now. And an algorithm's not going to have an answer for that. But an agent, the good agents will. Um, and, and then you need home sellers must genuinely, you got to like the agent you're working with because you're going to be in the bunker with them until the deal gets done, all right? If you want to find an agent that understands all those things I just mentioned, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Did they answer your first part of your question? Absolutely. Okay. So when we come back, you, you want me to apply this principle to several different issues. The four that you chose in the book. Okay. And then, Aaron, you have something you want to address as well? Sure. All right, we will do that when we come back. You're live and on demand on The Blaze. Thanks for tuning in. Steve at stevedays.com. That's the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. More in a moment. Well, I talked about this earlier uh, in another context, but it bears repeating when I get to, around to talking about from dawn to dusk from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. When it comes to making your body run at an optimum level, when it comes to getting it uh, better, more energetic, go back to the original manufacturer. You know, I just talked about how I don't know of any other two enterprises on planet Earth that people earnestly seek to join despite not sharing the professed beliefs of either than the Republican Party and the Christian Church. They're the only two entities I know of that people earnestly go to be a part of them, but then actually don't share the fundamental beliefs. 
the, the, the same here goes when it comes to your bodies. If we want our bodies to work right, let's, let's go to the a manufacturer. Okay? So work, energy, long days, a lot of us have to put those in. Why would you go to the place where your car gets fuel to get yours? Why would you buy a little bottle on a shelf at the gas station? And then you turn it over. How many of those ingredients can you even pronounce? Don't do that. Get energy from nature, creator, the way it was intended. All right. And that's where the team of top physicians at Brickhouse Nutrition comes in. And they've got a fantastic new product. I love, I use this on a frequent basis from dawn to dusk. Clean energy, improved energy level, focus for up to 10 hours, no jitters, no crashes, no calories, and no sugar. If you want to try this right now, go to BrickhouseSteve.com. Get 30% off of, or 15% off of your first order when you use promo code Steve. 15% off of your first order if you use promo code Steve at this website, BrickHouseSteve.com. From dawn to dusk is the name at BrickHouseSteve.com. All right, we're continuing our study of uh, my new book, uh, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. And we are looking at uh, lie number eight this week. That it's all about the party platform. That's the lie, right? And the truth bomb is the party platform is largely irrelevant to virtually every Republican you elect. So I, in the chapter that you wanted me to bring up, four, I give four examples yes. of questions to ask uh, your candidates to know, is, is this just words on a page? Or are they the embodiment of the words on the page? Okay, right? And as for mu- your muse for this, I want you... To be brutal, use as your inspiration what you just talked about with Donald Trump. Oh, you like sanctuary cities so much? Right. Here, we're going to, let's double down on that. I want you to use that as your moves when you confront the Republican Party and their truth bomb, uh, and the truth bomb you said about their lies on those four issues, starting with go life. Don't ask them if you're pro-life, okay? Here, the reality is these issues have, have been co-opted by a lot of special interest groups that are nothing more but than fronts for the GOP elites. Okay, like National Right to Life, I wouldn't take seriously their endorsement in a primary on any level at all. I, I wouldn't. You know, now, when it comes to education and life issue, fantastic organization. When you get to the right to life, National Right to Life PAC, they're basically an arm of Mitch McConnell's political operation. Okay, so they're going to back whoever the GOP elites say is our guy. And what happens is these 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 candidates are like NASCAR drivers. You know, when a NASCAR driver gets out of a car, what's all over his uniform? Logos. Advertising. Yeah, advertising. Right. Endorsements. And that's what these Republican candidates. Uh, I'm, I'm pro-life because I was endorsed by National Right to Life. I'm pro-gun because I was endorsed by this. These are just. No, no, no. If, you know, the first word of self-government is what? Self. self. Let's actually be conservatives who believe in self-government. And don't just take some group's word for it when they're largely just a direct mail fundraising front for the Republican Party in Washington, D.C. So don't ask a candidate, are you pro-life? Ask him this question. When does life begin? Ask him that. When does life begin? Get to the heart of the matter. When does life begin? Can they answer that question effectively? And then if they give you the right answer, well, what have you done in your career? And you know, I got the idea for this, by the way. 
the guy I dedicated this book to, Jonathan Narciss. Years ago, I was getting ready to do an interview with a guy. I won't even give his name because it's irrelevant. You won't know who he is. And his name's not relevant because the, the, a variation archetype of this guy exists in every Republican Party in, the st in every state oh, in America. more than what, just one. Okay. Y yes. You're lucky if it's just one. Okay. And this is the guy who feigns himself the gatekeeper. And who's cool and who's not. And so one day we're sitting down at lunch. And he said to me, I'll never forget. It, he said to me, do you want to have a relationship with me? And I looked at him, <laughs> and, I looked at him and said, well, you know, it, this is just a first date. You know, let's take it slow. Um, and one of my managers at my job was paranoid that I, I had decimated this guy. He had gone from. He had gone from being the guy that every Republican, when they come to Iowa to run for president, this is the number one guy they have to hire. I don't take credit for much of the stuff I, I'm, I get credit for. You know me, if, if I don't deserve the credit, I'll tell you, I deserve the credit on this one. I'm totally owning the credit on this. In fact, so th I made this guy a pariah. I, I put a name on the, what's the, what's the GOP establishment look like? I put a name to it. It was his name. And by the time my career ended in local radio, he had gone from the number one person you had to hire and pay this guy 15, 20, 25 grand a month to no one wanted to hire this guy because <laughs> they knew it was, it was like he was, they were missed. They were branding themselves. Yes, I'm the swamp. I'm the guy, the activists hate. I'm the candidate for the elites that hate all of you. So, some part of my, my management at the station was paranoid that we couldn't run afoul of this guy, you know? So they wanted me to go to lunch with him. And so we sat down and lunch, had a nice lunch. And he, of course, he professes to be a devout Catholic to me. And at one point during the lunch, he says to me, he goes, hmm. hold on a second, I think I figured this out. You actually think we ought to govern on some of the principles that are like in the Bible? And I said, well... This portion of the lunch brought to you by your local catechesis. Now you're cooking with gas. He goes, well, which parts of the Bible do you know to use? I'm like, you know, how complicated, brother, do you think don't commit murder should be? He's like, well, we need to compromise on an issue of abortion. I said, well, how is someone, and Reagan said the person who's your 80% enemy or friend isn't your 20% enemy. I said, you ever met a baby who was 80% alive? What's 80% alive look like to you? Anybody ever been 80% alive? 20% dead. <laughs> yes. I'm not, I said, listen, we're not, we don't, we don't need to have argued the Protestant Reformation down there at the state house, but how about some basic facts? Don't steal. Don't murder. Where'd we get these ideas from? Yeah, that stuff. So I brought him on the air one day at the request of my management. And I got to admit, I was a little intimidated, not by him, by myself. Because I couldn't figure out a way that I was just not going to denut this guy live on the air. I wasn't just going to skewer him. I mean, he was just—he was such an obvious archetype. He's the antelope, I'm the lion, and I feel like if you throw the antelope out there on the Serengeti and I attack, I'm the bad guy here. I'm just following. I mean, how did you expect me to resist this? You handed me a loaded gun called this 50,000-watt radio station. You put the embodiment of everything I've been trying to defeat on the air right here in front of me, and now you're like, uh, why don't you uh, play nice? 
I can't possibly manage this. I know I can't. I am going to, this is going to, this is a red wedding is about to take place. Okay. And so I called up my buddy Narcissus, who's one of the few people in this business who made me feel moderate. And, and, and I thought he's going to give me my affirmation. He's, you know what? It go out in a blaze of glory, man. If this is your final kill shot, go for it. And instead, Jonathan gave me some excellent advice. He said, you know what? Don't corner him on his record. Don't do that. He's hoping you're going to do that. This is a setup to get you to look bad. Just ask him, what do you believe? And just do this on every issue. Ask him, what do you believe? And then ask him, what have you done? Show me. Hey, he's Catholic. Ask him. Show me. Hey, faith. Just keep asking him. Hey. Show me the works associated with what your stated beliefs are. I'm just curious what you've done on any of these issues. And man, I just did this across the board and it was devastating. He had no record and he had done nothing. Nothing. And he never came back. <laughs> it, was a devast- it, wasn't, really? it, was a, it was a devastating interview. One of the most devastating ones I've done. And I didn't, I didn't like have come up with the turn of phrase. I didn't forge the weapon. I didn't like plunge it into his heart proverbially. I just sat there and asked questions. So back to this issue. If they don't ask him, are you pro-life? Ask him when life begins. And if they give you the right answer, ask him, what have you done about that in your career ever? And or, and or and maybe they're new, like they might be a private person, never run for office before. Then ask them, what would you do about that then if you were in office? And don't let them come back with, I don't know, what do you suggest? Um, that's like that commercial with the tattoo artist. You're the best in the city, right? I'm in the city. Sometimes okay, it's not okay. They're running for office. Stay in your lane, bro. Yeah, they, they're supposed to know. If, like, if you showed up at the mechanic, like, guys, uh, uh, my, my hood exploded and a bunch of white smoke came out. And if the mechanic looks back at you and says, well, what do you think the problem is? Uh, new mechanic time. <laughs> they don't know how to fix it. They shouldn't be asking you. That's their job, right? Okay, taxes and spending. Instead of asking them if for, for tax cuts or a balanced budget. And there's a reason all these Republicans run on the same things, guys. It's because the consultants have coached them, too. Well, that's why we need a we need a balanced budget amendment around here. A balanced uh, budget amendment, yeah, that's what we need from the same guy who's going to go on CBS this morning and tell you about his new uh, Javanka entitlement. Balanced balance budget amendment. We really nice to have one of those. I mean, who never thought of that? I said, I'm smart with the A. SMRT smart. Who never thought of the balanced budget amendment? Only every damn Republican that's run for dog catcher to president since 1987. That's all. Okay. So instead of asking him that. Ask them if they think taxation is primarily a moral or an economic exercise. What's the primary role of government in our lives? Ask them questions like that. National defense. You'll get, uh, well, you know, don't ask them about, you know, peace through strength. Are you a neocon? What do you think of interventionism? In fact, in the book, I laid out 13 questions here you could ask on national defense. Of all national defense decisions we've made in recent years, and just run down questions. Like number three on this list, how come we allowed Turkey, whose president puts a sympathetic mainstream front on Islamic radicalism, into NATO? 
Ask him that question. Or one of my favorites on this list, number nine. Why doesn't Israel have to endlessly occupy Muslim lands to protect itself? That's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> How come Netanyahu's like, and that's why we're going back to Afghanistan again? Think he'd be the longest tenured prime minister in Israeli history if he was like, and guys, I'm really thinking 25 years Syria, Syrian occupation. Who you got? No, guys. Do we want to argue we're more in peril than Israel? And yet they don't have to endlessly occupy Muslim lands to protect themselves. Weird. Questions like that. All right. Then on immigration. Oh, this is good. This is, this is one I, buddy, I borrowed from Mark Levin. I can't take credit for this one, okay? Simply ask this question. Are we a nation of immigrants or are we a nation of citizens? Oh, boy. And then just sit back, grab all the tubbo corn in your local area code, and watch the heads explode. Are we a nation of immigrants or are we a nation of citizens? Those are just some of the examples I'd point to in the book. Aaron. So since we don't have a whole lot of time left, I think this will be good to kind of wrap things up. And I want to stipulate something first before I ask you what I'm going to ask you. So if we could stipulate that the one word worldview driving uh, the Democrat or the, uh, you know, the Democrat agenda, uh, if, we'll, if we'll put it that, or the left's agenda, agenda is power because um, what's driving the left is progressivism and progressivism's number one uh, aim is power. So the one world world, uh, one word worldview of uh, the left, i.e. The, the, the apparatus of the left, meaning the Democratic Party is power. What is – we can stipulate to that, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the one-word worldview given everything that you just talked about and given in um, – given who votes for Republicans, what the uh, platform is and who actually controls the level, levers of power and what they believe in uh, the Republican Party? What is the one-word worldview of the Republican Party? Maintain. So status quo. Maintain. Yep. They, they, they don't believe we're at this existential end or they've just chosen not to believe it because the cost of understanding the existential level of conflict that the left wants to engage in, it, it's, the cost is too high. Um, and when, when your goal is I maintain a certain system, and that's what I'm doing. I'm, it, it, what am I conserving? I'm going to run Medicare better. I'm going to run the, I'm going to run the welfare state better. We're going to, we're going to cut that with fat ambient. We're going to cut that. I can't believe no one thought of that before. How come nobody ever thought about cutting all this waste fat and abuse before? It's weird. I'm going to maintain what my donors want. I mean, this is why, this is why, this is why Trump's been, I talked about how he's been extraordinarily effective in boxing in Democrats, extraordinarily ineffective in moving his own party. Because his, his self-interest don't align with theirs. And they're not interested in a negotiation. His self-interest are anathema to theirs. What benefits Trump, which is, Trump's always benefited every time he stands with you over the system. That's always benefits Trump. But the system hates you. I was just responding to something Eric Erickson at the Resurgent was tweeting out. 
He goes, you know, there's a, he goes, you can sit in the, you go to, he goes, I've been in green rooms on cable news shows waiting to go on. And these pundits will go on there and they'll speak glowingly about Trump. And then behind his back, they can't stand him. They're skeptical. They hate his base. He's like, the idea, they're going to, they're going to work really hard to return the party back to what it was pre-Trump once he's gone. The idea that he's exactly right about that. You've heard me say this too. The, the, the Republican party is not going to heal when Trump leaves. It's going to get worse. Trump is not the cause of the rift. He's the result of it. People that had enough of not having their concerns listened to or ignored or betrayed. So they went to a guy hoping because he's outside the system, he might listen to them. When he walks away, the team GOP is going to reemerge. Out from underneath the rocks. And they're going to attempt to shove the genie back in the bottle. And the genie's not going to go back in the bottle. The rift's going to get worse. They're going to want to maintain. You can't scream. You can't scream status quo when Che Guevara is coming over the hill. Right? He's not here to negotiate. He's a radical. He's a revolutionary. Reports say 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by this time. And if you've lost resolve in your number one resolution for most Americans, which is to get healthier and lose weight, it may not be your fault. Now, we're not into fake victimology here. Chances are it is your fault. Chances are you weren't disciplined enough. But there is a percentage of us, particularly as we get older, the metabolism just ain't what it used to be. This is, again, another natural substance, not a stimulant. It's called Riduzone. Turn over the bottle, three ingredients. Rice is one of them. One of the other main ingredients in this is what's called OEA, which is one of the dominant ingredients in olive oil. In fact, it's a natural substance our bodies produce. Just as we get older, it doesn't produce the amount of it it did when we were younger. And that's one of the reasons why our metabolisms just ain't what they used to be. So if you need to stoke it on one end, or you may need to slow it down on the other and send it that signal, hey, I'm full, I, I, I can be done eating now. You want to check this product out. It's called Riduzone, um, and you can do this in a healthy way. All right, don't load yourself up with stimulants. Do it a healthy way. So Riduzone, 30% off a three-month supply right now if you use my name as a promo code, Steve, when you go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com. Gentlemen, good show today. Don't forget the Blaze Roundtable coming your way as well. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.